from the Gospel of Luke in the 22nd and 23rd chapters. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to ask one another which one of them it could be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you, just as my Father has conferred on me, a kingdom, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And you, once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he, and he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you've denied three times that you know me. He said to them, when I sent you out without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, no, not a thing. He said to them, but now the one who has a purse must take it, and likewise a bag. And the one who has no sword must sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. And indeed, what is written about me is being fulfilled. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he replied, it's enough. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, pray that you might not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them, about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. 
In anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. While he was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came. And the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? When those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple police, and the elders who had come for him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? When I was with you day by day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him in the firelight, stared at him and said, This man also was with them. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else on seeing him said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then about an hour later still, another kept insisting, Surely this man also was with him, for he's a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. At that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus began to mock him and beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophecy! Who is it that struck you? They kept heaping many other insults on him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, gathered together, and they brought him to their council. They said, If you are the Messiah, tell us. He replied, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I question you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. All of them asked, Are you then the Son of God? He said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Then the assembly rose as a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man perverting our nation, forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered, You say so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, 
I find no basis for an accusation against this man. But they were insistent and said, He stirs up the people by teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, where he began, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him off to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he'd been wanting to see him for a long time, because he had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform some sign. He questioned him at some length, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Even Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then he put an elegant robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. That same day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other. Before this, they'd been enemies. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was perverting the people. And here I have examined him in your presence, and have not found this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Indeed, he has done nothing to deserve death. I will therefore have him flogged and release him. Then they all shouted to, out together, Away with this fellow! Release Barabbas for us! This was a man who had been put in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him flogged and then release him. But they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave his verdict that their demand should be granted. He released the man they had asked for, the one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder, and he handed Jesus over as they wished. As they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A great number of the people followed him, and among them were women who were beating their breasts and wailing. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are surely coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. 
Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly, this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who though a member of the council had not agreed to their plan of action. He came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These events take place in the context of the Jewish Passover. This is the meal that the Israelites partook in at God's behest on the eve of their flight from Egypt. On the night when the angel of death passed over the children of Israel, It was a time of fear and uncertainty. And ever since that day, every year at the same time, the Jewish people throughout the centuries and millennia have celebrated that meal 
remembering through symbolic foods and symbolic ritual the actions of that night, the actions that God took to free the people from slavery and death and put them on a journey to redemption, to the promised land. Every year, when Jewish families gather around their table, they participate in this Sedan meal. This is a time when they tell that story over again, where the children ask questions prescribed for them by tradition. Though it is not laid out in our Gospels, that is how Jesus and his disciples would have spent that meal. As a family gathered around table, telling that story once again, learning from one another, remembering. Jesus and his company were there again in the same kind of fear that the Israelites in Egypt experienced, beginning that same journey from fear to new life. We, too, stand at that paradoxical moment of elation and fear, beginning the journey again through death into new life. We began the morning with triumphal shouts, with children singing, with palm branches waving. And very quickly, we find ourselves on a journey that will rush us into the heart of Jerusalem, to the heart of death and desertion and beyond. While they were talking at table about what the Messiah is really all about, Jesus was trying once again, as he had so many times before, to correct their notions about what being Messiah means. Because they had these notions that had been built up of a mighty king, a warrior, coming to overthrow the Romans and set the people free once again. And Jesus kept trying to tell them that is not what we're doing here. And Jesus starts to call them out on their misconceptions, on their misplaced priorities. But I think he did so very sadly, with no sense of condemnation in his heart. Sadly, he says, one will betray me, all of you will scatter. Even my most stalwart friend will deny me three times. It's a sad day, a sad week, but it will pass. And when it does pass, you'll come back. And when you come back, you will strengthen others in their faith. When they get up from the table and go on about their business, the disciples indeed begin to fail Jesus again and again. But forgiveness is inherent in the journey of this week. 
Jesus recognizes the limitations of those who follow him. After all, even Jesus isn't keen about what's about to happen. How could those who don't quite understand be any different? If even Jesus is praying for it all to not be this way, he can't really blame his disciples who barely grasp the enormity of it all. And the forgiveness isn't just for his disciples. It's for the thief. It's for the chanting mob. It's for the Romans and the Jews, the law abiders and the law breakers. It's for the women who keep watch and for the men who run away. It's for the society that is constructed around the kind of injustice that is willing, even eager, to kill one man for the sake of keeping the peace. It's for the hardened heart and the liquid bowels. It's for you and it's for me. The redemption won in Jesus Christ on the cross has been touted for a very long time as a redemption of the afterlife. It hasn't been considered as something that happens here in the time between now and death. But redemption is an all-encompassing thing with myriad dimensions. Resurrection of the dead, resurrection also of the living. Affirmation that life has worth. Vindication of Jesus' teachings, telling us that his message of love really is the right one. That precious message that no amount of horrible, painful death can negate life. Life overcomes everything. Even the little deaths we experience every day. Even the moderate deaths that change the course of our lives. Even the moment when our bodies cease to function in the capacity of sustaining us. Even the human systems that broadcast the message that no, not all life matters. Life overcomes that, too. Redemption pulls us away from that, too. Away from death to new life. A new life with God, with a profound awareness of the divine, a world trying to overcome the obstacles that keep us from truly living. A new life advocating for a new world order that redeems life just as surely as God redeemed Jesus' life. A world where people of color are not indiscriminately killed or imprisoned. A world where being responsible for human death, one's own death, is not the answer. A world where babies and children and adults receive sufficient medical care. 
a world where we support and strengthen the family unit with more than just our thoughts and prayers and legislation against that which we think threatens it. A world where no one goes hungry or wants for clean, potable water. A world that would not punish women for failing to live out society's expectations of them. A world that recognizes the wondrous variety of God's creatures, including the variety of human creatures. A world that affirms the lives of those whose lived experiences are different from our own. Indeed, a world that validates the lives of even those who, like Peter, deny Jesus. A world where everyone has a future role in the grand scheme of things. That is redemption. Not just where you are going to spend eternity, but the redemption of this world, the one Jesus came to and lived in. Even the disciples who still don't quite get it, the disciples who fall asleep on Jesus, who run away leaving Jesus on his own, who deny that they even know Jesus, even they yet have a job. By the prayers of Jesus, they will return to faith. And they will strengthen all the others who have been asleep at the switch, hidden in fear, or simply pretending they have no idea what you're talking about. When the disciples have fled, we still see what discipleship looks like. Like the thief, it looks like a sinner confessing their sins to Christ, seeking divine mercy. Like the women who followed from afar, it looks like a group of silenced, marginalized people still bearing witness to Jesus. It looks like Simon of Cyrene, a man who serves Jesus by literally carrying the cross without any reference checks regarding his opinion about Jesus or what exactly he believes. Followers of Jesus don't always know that they're his followers. Sometimes they come to the party late or not at all. Sometimes they stand far off for fear and being caught up in something they can't afford to be identified with, who yet bear witness all the same. Sometimes they simply serve, regardless of what they believe or what they think about Jesus personally. That's good news for us, because at one time or another, if we are honest with ourselves, we could be any number of the people in this story except Jesus himself. We could be the leaders of the Sanhedrin. We could be numbered among the crowd. We could be Pilate, we could be Herod, we could be the soldiers. We could be that centurion standing at the foot of the cross. We could be Simon of Cyrene caught up in something he doesn't really understand just yet. We could be standing off on that hill 
watching it all happen. We can be any of those at any point in our lives, and yet Jesus prays that you will not lose your faith. You will come back. The coming week puts an end to delusions of grandeur. By the time Jesus and company reach the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples will no longer argue about who will be the greatest. They will see that there will be no miraculous overthrow of the empire. They will see that all the labels about who and what the Messiah is that they had held on to and cherished have been distorted. Indeed, throughout the Gospels, Jesus tries hard to be clear about what being the Messiah really means. And time and again, we miss the point. Even 2,000 years later, we cling to our precious notions about what Jesus should be. So much so that as Peter occasionally did, we tried to keep him from being what he is. Jesus' opponents throughout his trials misrepresent him. That's not very different from how his closest friends often misrepresented him. Not very different from how we misrepresent him today. Jesus is on trial each day, and many of his opponents and supporters alike misrepresent him so blatantly, so egregiously, that no one really sees him for what he is. The one who, even as he died a torturous death on the cross, yet proclaimed a message of love and acceptance for all. As we travel this journey from the Palm Sunday Road to the temple, to the upper room, to the garden and Golgotha, let us take this lesson again. This is who Jesus is. Obedient to God even to and through death. Proclaiming a, a message of love and acceptance and forgiveness even in the midst of the worst humanity can do to another human being. If we learn that message of love and acceptance and forgiveness, we can truly serve Christ by carrying our crosses regardless of the tenets of our belief or our opinion about this Jesus person. So let us move through this coming week with intention, praising God and God's Christ, recognizing that we are among both the Palm Sunday and the Good Friday crowd gathering at the table on Thursday to tell the story again before scattering into the darkness as Christ climbs the tree. And then, meet back here at the empty tomb on Sunday morning to witness redemption in all its dimensions. For God's glory each and every day.
Amen.